Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Katherine Garforth from Garforth Education, and this is the Right to Read Initiative, a place where we talk about best practices for teaching instruction. And today, uh, Nathaniel Hansford and I are going to be speaking about morphological awareness. Now, morphological awareness is one of the subject areas brought up in the right to read public inquiries recommendations and its importance as part of reading and literacy instruction. So today, uh, Nathaniel's gonna take us through what the research tells us. Hello again, Nate, do you wanna give us listeners a little bit of a background on who you are and what you do uh, if they haven't heard? Yeah, I'm a a school teacher um, and a nerd. Uh, So I have, for no logical or rational reason, gone through as much of the meta-analysis research as I can on the topic of education. Um, and I have a, two websites and a podcast to go through some of that information. Um, one is Pedagogy Non Grata, one is Teaching by Science. And I have my podcast, which is Pedagogy Non Grata, which I co-founded with um, uh, Robert. And yeah, I'm just really passionate about trying to figure out what do we objectively know? I generally speaking, look at things through the analysis of meta-analysis. Uh, and that's because I'm pretty thoroughly convinced myself that um, we can't look to individual studies um, f- to find evidence of efficacy in, in the, the scientific research, especially when it comes to education, because uh, it's such a subjective field. You know, every classroom is unique. Every teacher is unique. Um, it's really hard to look at one study to really provide definitive results. Just as an example, I get this one all the time, but there are balanced literacy studies that show really high results. And there are phonic studies that show really low results. Um, and you can't really just pick one of those because uh, you can, if you do that, you run the risk of just creating whatever narrative or story you want rather than actually engaging with science. Um, and what I'm all about is trying to find what do most studies show on a given topic. Um, so yeah, here we are today to talk about uh, how that applies to morphology, which I'm excited all to right. do. Well, I think we should start out and define morphology, uh, just for those listeners who aren't quite sure what we're talking about. Well, you know what? You were the person who actually first introduced me to this topic. So why don't you explain it? All right. So morphemes are part of word and they are the smallest unit of meaning in words. So it can be a base element or a free base element, which is like a, a root uh, word such as cycle. And we can add prefixes and suffixes to those words and other root words to create larger words. Now, some people use the term prefix roots and suffixes. Other use the terms base elements and bound base elements and free base elements. So it all depends um, the language that you prefer. But basically, we are teaching parts of words that could be combined together to make larger words. The reason why this is so important is because English is a language that is morphophonemic. So our spelling takes its cues from morphology of words, and then it goes to the phonology or the phonemes. And that's why some people feel our spelling is a little bit unpredictable. But when you understand morphology, then it 
makes a little bit more sense, especially since a lot of the academic words that we use have a Latin or Greek origin, and that's where we get the morphemes from. And when we teach morphology, we are giving the students understanding of the meaning of the roots and the base elements that we're teaching, as well as giving them the skills to attack some of those more complex vocabulary words that they are going to see as they start reading more of those academic textbooks. Yeah, I, I like to think of morphology as about, you know, applying the meaning to phonemes and understanding these. But uh, the, and this is where I think people get confused too with our regular words. Um, oftentimes the reason a word is irregular is because uh, it is uh, morphologically based. And um, really to me, morphology instruction is all about teaching students those, those connections between meaning and individual sounds rather than just teaching sounds. Um, and I, I really wanna say that before we get in, I didn't feel like this research confirmed any of my biases. Um, the first time I heard of morphology, I was actually incredibly skeptical. I think my eyes glazed over a little. Uh, and I was like, oh, we got to teach phonics. Now we got to teach morphology too. Uh, in my head, I'm like, I never learned this. So ergo, it must not be useful. Um, I was wrong. The research does not confirm, confirm that bias. Um, and uh, when I started to think about, well, okay, well, where might this be lo most logically applied? Um, I immediately assumed the older the grades, probably the more sense would make because it seems more complex, especially because, you know, we have a fairly limited number of phonemes. And that's why I personally think it makes sense to have help students try and memorize those phonemes um, because it's just such a limited number. It's, uh, and it can have such a big impact on reading. Um, whereas like morphology, there's just a massive, massive amount of morphemes that exist, uh, way more than I, I could even count. Um, uh, and yet the research tends to show that morphology is most effective for younger students, the same as phonics, which is uh, very confusing, actually. And, and we can talk about, I want to talk a little bit more about that as we go through, if you don't mind. Um, and then when we started talking about what would morphology be most useful for in terms of outcomes, I would have assumed comprehension and vocabulary. Um, and I don't, I don't know if the research really demonstrates that, actually. I think where we see the, the largest benefit for morphology is actually spelling and then reading, which is uh, um, pretty consistently shown across the literature. So now when I think of morphology, I tend to think of morphology as the logical extension next step for phonics. Mm -hmm. And I also tend to think of it as um, the logical form of spelling instruction, um, or at least a, a very large component of what our spelling instruction should have and be based on. I agree. And also it's important to note that, you know, the, the morphological instruction has moved beyond from just using flashcards and having uh, an affix, like a prefix, root, suffix, or a base element, having the student say that element and then repeat the meaning. There are much more engaging and interactive ways to teach students about morphology and I think it allows them to internalize it more than just going through a flashcard deck. So what, how would you recommend teaching morphology then? Uh, it depends on the age level. Okay. Um, and the point, like, I think we can start teaching morphology in kindergarten 
really, but not having it necessarily as part of that spelling instruction. It can be for the students that are ready for it because, you know, we do have a range of abilities in our classroom and it's important to have differentiated instruction, but we can teach them the meanings of things like uni, buy, try, or cycle. You know, we talk about life cycles and typically in kindergarten when we're looking at butterflies and seasons uh, and just letting them know that, you know what, actually cycle is something called a morpheme and it's something that we can add to other morphemes to make bigger words. Like we, we've talked about the life cycle when we're talking about the butterfly, but have you heard of a bicycle? And most kids, oh yeah, I know what a bicycle is. Well, bi actually means two and the cycle is talking about a wheel. So it means two wheels. And then you can, you can talk about the other aspects. And yes, I would show the spellings of the morphemes on, you know, a whiteboard or a chart or whatever you're using in the classroom, but not expect them to learn them as a spelling pattern or a spelling word. There are going to be some students that take that up in the lesson and understand it, but the vast majority of students likely won't be ready for it. But that doesn't mean they can't understand the meaning. And I think that's where we sell a lot of our young children short is that they don't understand these things. And, you know, in those early, early years, you want to make sure that you teach them about plurals. They already understand how to make plural words. You know, they may have some errors, but then they can have that understanding. Well, you know what? Sometimes the letter S actually makes the Z sound, right? And that's usually when we're meaning more than one like boys, right? Or cars, cars is a s, boys is a z sound. So you can bring that knowledge in and also, you know, tense, the, the e suffix ed, right? It has three different pronunciations, but one spelling. Yeah. And, and these conversations, you know, are neat things that you can pull up that some kids in the early grades are going to figure out. And I'd argue that, you know, in grade one and two, you can work on teaching the suffix ed to them and have it part of spelling once they're ready for it, you know, at, at the end of the year. Also, you know, ing and ly, those are suffixes that they commonly use and see. And understanding what it does in the language is important. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think I like how you phrase that. I think um, we've sort of talked about this in other podcasts, but there, there is a, a place for implicit instruction or yeah. non-systematic instruction. And I would say your systematic instruction should be the instruction that's likely to have the biggest benefit in that grade level. And your non-systematic is to be the instruction that's going to be less likely to be beneficial at that grade level or where we might have some um, implementation struggle with that instruction. And then where we can do it need-based or you know learning moment-based where a student says, hey, why is this word spelled funny? Or mm -hmm. you have a student who's advanced. I think it makes sense. Um, so, well, and I think the oh, implicit sorry. instruction is so important for the differentiated instruction for the students in your class. And that's a judgment call that you have to make as to where it goes. And there's a book um, that I think is an excellent resource for teachers called uh, Unlocking Literacy by Marcia Henry. 
And she has a whole second section of words that are commonly found in textbooks uh, based on morphology. So I think it's very useful for teachers to be aware of these and how we can talk about these words. I know you can't see them well, but it goes into uh, weather and geography, government and citizenship, um, early explorers, civil war and reconstruction. Uh, and it talks about stuff in the secondary, secondary grades, um, looking at, you know, mathematical words, psychology, um, and being aware of those and how you can incorporate them into your instruction is really beneficial. And it's part of that lifelong learning as a teacher. The vast majority of us were not taught Latin mm -hmm. in school. I mean, that started phasing out before uh, the majority of today's teachers were born. But that's where we learn a lot about this morphology and scientific words and academic words typically trace their meaning or their their morphology from greek and latin yeah well that makes a lot of sense <clears throat> so uh if you don't mind i would like to, to dive into some of the literature here and uh i probably will redo this graph at some point here because it's it's a bit hard to read because there's so much information on it but what i've done here is i've taken um three meta-analyses here and I, I plotted their effect size and then i've also put in some phonics ones for for reference um because uh there is the argument that sometimes takes place should we teach phonics or morphology um mm -hmm. and i would actually argue that that's probably a false dichotomy that we should probably be teaching both um especially because the the research outcomes are high um but i felt so felt there were i didn't feel comfortable um pointing to any one of these meta-analyses is the best uh, source to look to because they each had interesting advantages and interesting disadvantages to how the statistics were collected. Um, for example, one of them had only eight studies. Um, I believe that was the Goodwin meta-analysis. Um, and then one of them included German studies, which was the Galushka meta-analysis. And uh, when we're teaching reading instruction, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I don't know if it really makes sense to be looking at the studies on teaching reading in other languages and compiling them in with teaching English language. I think our brains all work the same and our students are all the same, but I don't know if the linguistics of each language really makes it comparable. Um, and then uh, Dr. Bauer's uh, meta-analysis, I think was the most comprehensive. And he did some really interesting statistical breakdowns. And this is um, Pete Bowers, not Jeff Bowers, their brother, so. Um, and uh, the one weakness I thought with his paper was just that he included papers that included um, only a minimal uh, additional um, uh, instructional time devoted to morphology with the majority of instructional time devoted towards phonics. And actually, I had the chance to talk to him about this, this very issue. In fact, I, I consulted with him on it before I wrote my article on the topic. Um, and he sort of de defended that, that practice. And I, I get where he's coming from. And his point was what he's advocating personally for in his own instructional practices is teaching both phonology and morphology. So he's not advocating for teaching just morphology. So he wasn't personally interested in the idea of what is the impact of just morphology. Now, from my perspective of just trying to investigate this, I don't tend to feel overly invested in anybody's um, pedagogical practices. 
I just wanted to know what is the effect of morphology instruction itself. And it's hard to isolate that effect if we're looking at studies that look at both phonics and morphology at the same time. Um, but uh, that being said, I think it's helpful to look at all and understand where the research is coming from. And then I've actually, uh, on the next slide, I've, I've taken an average of everybody's results and done a secondary meta-analysis, which of course limits the accuracy of your work, but increases the sample size. Um, mm. uh, but I think it can be a little cleaner and easier for people to understand um, when we look at it in this way. So I'm gonna uh, just go back here and highlight a couple of things. Um, the most interesting one to me is actually the very top one, and that's morphology for pre-K. Uh, to grade two. Um, we have a very large effect size of 1.24. That's much higher than the effect size found in other meta-analyses for phonics instruction. Um, and I'm going to circle back to this at the end. Now, uh, I, I actually randomly ended up dialoguing about this specific uh, information with uh, Dr. Shanahan on Twitter the other day. Um, and as he pointed out, and he's right, there's actually very few studies behind this effect size, especially for the pre-K group. Most of them are grade one, grade two. Um, the second highest one is obviously uh, Galushka's uh, morphology for uh, German, which isn't particularly helpful to our, our cases here today. Um, and I think it's, it's really interesting that we saw some, some research for uh, decoding um, showing high, high impacts. One of the things that I thought was also really interesting was that generally speaking, um, in intermediate years uh, or past grade eight, we didn't see particularly high impacts um, for teaching morphology. Although we do see overall grades three to eight, uh, a very substantial effect size, in fact, higher than what we generally see speaking fine for phonics. Um, and uh, one of the, the good one, uh, or the, maybe it was the Galushka one found higher effect sizes for decoding. No, it was the read one, I apologize. I'm all over the place there. Um, but we have, we have some evidence that suggests basically that morphology might be better for reading instruction. Might be, although there's uh, the Galushka meta-analysis actually says that phonics is better for reading instruction and that morphology is better for spelling instruction, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I thought the Galushka one was the most comprehensive of the topic. I also think it's interesting to show that um, Dr. Bowers did some really interesting things where he broke it down according to study design. And he actually found higher results for RCT studies than he did for um, quasi-experimentals. And I love when that comes up in the literature, personally, just because a lot of people will say we can't trust quasi-experimental studies because they inflate the data. Well, there's a couple of meta-analyses I've seen where that happened, where the RCT studies were um, higher. I would suggest that implies that it's not necessarily the most determining factor. And some people say we should only look at RCT studies. Now that's a point only for the hugest nerds listening on your, your podcast, which are probably one or two max. Um, but to, I just wanted to put that there, that there is some variability, like the, uh, the Bowers uh, study, generally speaking, found um, the highest um, and the Reed, generally speaking, found the lowest results. Um, so here we have this all averaged out neat, much more neatly, much easier for, for um, uh, reading. And we saw morphology in primary had the, the highest results. Um, this one has phonics for spelling uh, as second highest. I don't think that's in line with the Galushka study. Um, and I, I will say that um, in terms of the phonics literature, some of this, like I have phonics for, for reading, uh, that's from Galushka. Um, and we have phonics, the phonics overall one is actually from John Hattie. 
And mm-hmm. I, I will recently look through his, um, his data on that. And I actually think he yeah, included some outliers. So I think it's actually too high. Personally, I think when we see the, the results or the effects of phonics and literature, it's probably somewhere around 0.4 to 0.5. Um, so overall, we see an effect size for morphology of 0.51, um, which suggests that morphology instruction could be more important than phonics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to put a caveat or two caveats on that, though, personally. Uh, and the first caveat is just that um, there's far less studies on morphology than phonics. So uh, it's easy to, easier to get like this strangely high outlier data in morphology because we have less data total. So we might be looking at just not enough studies to truly measure the effect of morphology. I think we specifically need more studies on morphology itself. And we specifically need more, more studies on morphology in primary. Um, uh, another thing I think that you have to consider is the complexity of it. Morphology is far more complex than phonics. Uh, as a teacher, personally, I find morphology really um, overwhelming. And I've been, I've been actually studying it quite a bit this year because I'm working on a resource for morphology that I will be giving away for free. Um, but uh, I'm not as, uh, I definitely don't think it's as easy to implement. And I think there is a, a sort of, it's not even that I'm worried about the cognitive load. I mean, that's the thing people talk about a lot. I'm more concerned about, you know, phonics, generally speaking, we have 44 main graphing phoneme correspondences that are easy to teach. Um, and that, that can be quickly taught to students. Um, and immediately we can have them being much better readers. We don't have the same level of universality to morphology. I, were, I can't teach students 44 morphemes and suddenly they're gonna be able to decode 90% of the English language, but we can do that with phonemes. Um, and so for me, I think it makes a lot more rational sense to teach at least the basic synthetic sounds um, behind our, our alphabetic language first, and then start branching out into more sounds and morphemes. Um, and I'm done ranting and I'll, I'll let Dr. Garfour speak in a kind of a chat. Well, personally, I find morphology fascinating and I think there's a lot of great ways that we can bring it into the classroom. But the important thing to note is that it does require a lot of teacher knowledge. And, you know, there are great resources that you can have for desk reference, but to be able to implement it the way that some of uh, the gurus like, you know, Dr. Bowers is able to do it that background knowledge and deep understanding of morphology, all of the rules takes a lot of time and effort to develop. So while there's amazing results for some studies, we're not always looking at teachers that are just picking it up for the first time. And that's the caution that I want to state is that it is definitely a place where I feel that educators need to do more learning, but caution and thinking, oh, look, if I start doing this with my, you know, my pre-K to grade two students, we're going to have these huge, amazing results. Well, that's not just picking up a book and throwing it in here and there. That's actually understanding it and how it relates to the spelling. And that takes time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely far more complex. I, I'm constantly trying to look up things and, and correct my understanding of this because it's, it's not easy, um, mm-hmm. which is why I feel, you know, a bit cautionary towards rep or, um, 
advocating for it for uh, teachers uh, as a, a first step in their instruction. Uh, mm -hmm. Similarly, actually, I just want to point this effect this out here. So studies on morphology for reading disabled students showed much larger effect sizes than the NRP meta-analysis found for reading disabled students. Um, although my, my own meta-analysis, which is not peer-reviewed admittedly, found very high results for uh, reading disabled students. So uh, maybe there might be some variation in that data. Um, but I think it can be a, a part of the strategies for, for instructing people with dyslexia. And admittedly, that's something I've seen a lot of anecdotal stories of recently is people saying, my child had dyslexia, they were struggling to learn, I started to teach morphology, all of a sudden I saw outcomes for the, the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's anecdotal, and I don't tend to rely on, on anecdotal personally very much. But. Yeah, and I, I definitely think, you know, in the next decade, we're going to see a lot more understanding on best practices on morphological instruction. And I think we're just in the early years and understanding and how to use it effectively within the classroom. So it's one of those uh, developing fields in the science of reading or structured literacy that you need to keep a finger on and keep up with how to do it and figuring out a way that is um, effective for you. Yeah, I, 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 I've heard Dr. Bauer say the same thing. Um, he points out that, you know, when we look at the phonics literature, we're looking at like 50 years of research on not only on the efficacy of phonics, but how best to do phonics. Mm -hmm. um, and as he points out, there's very little research on how best to teach morphology. Mm -hmm. um, so we might see better results for teaching morphology in the future in studies as teachers improve their knowledge of this and their understanding of how to teach it. Um, so we might be just seeing the tip of the iceberg um, for morphology outcomes. Uh, but again, like I said, the results are higher on average for morphology than phonics, but they are, uh, there are less studies. So it's, it's tough to directly compare in my opinion. Um, the other thing to mention is, you know, these studies are using standardized measures of assessment for improvement. Uh, and we don't have one that is specifically targeted for morphological awareness. And when, you know, you have a potential of, I think it's usually about 50 words maximum for a spelling inventory, there are only so many morphemes that you're going to look at in that. Um, so at present, I don't think we have a, a full understanding of the impact of morphological aware instruction. And realistically, I don't see a standardized measure being developed that specifically targets this skill only because while it's an important aspect of literacy instruction, it's not going to serve that diagnostic purpose. Yeah, no, uh, that's a really good point. Um, whenever uh, I put, put out research, um, there's always somebody who wants to ask, well, what about the fidelity? Uh, and what about the study design was an RCT? Um, but I, I, I've looked at, I've done comparisons along those angles and specifically, I don't see actually statistically significant differences when we compare for fidelity, um, or RCT versus quasi-experimental very often. In fact, usually you don't, mm -hmm. um, but where I have seen incredibly statistically significant, 
um, differences is whether or not the test is um, a standardized test versus a non-standardized test. And as you point out, there are no standardized tests for morphology, at least not to the best of my knowledge. And actually, I was recently looking for one um, personally, and there, there's, to the best of my knowledge, there isn't one that exists. Um, and on average, I will say that this is a rough estimate, but on average, I'll say that studies that use uh, a non-standardized test usually see about double the effects of studies that don't. And I think that what's going on there is that when teachers design their own or researchers design their own assessment, they design the assessment to match the instruction. So it's more likely that the instruction carries over to the assessment and we see inflated results. Um, and you know, it raises the question, should we look at studies um, with these types of metrics and take them as seriously? And the problem is if we start throwing them out, uh, then it's really hard to compare studies across the board because um, we would lose about two thirds of the scientific literature. And then when you think about it, um, I would say 90% of studies don't have a control group. So if we start uh, taking only the best design studies out there, we're really gonna be left with like 1% of all scientific research. And then we really won't be able to talk about very much. These podcast episodes would be very boring. So I think you just have to sort of sometimes take that with a grain of salt, especially if you're looking at one study. And I would say that's actually a reason for looking at meta-analysis is that you have to kind of look at the average because we do have these differences in designs that could make sometimes a small effect or sometimes a dramatic effect in the results. Definitely. And the other thing to consider about morphological awareness instruction or teaching morphemes is unlike phonics instruction that you can apply it to a wide range of words. Like if you, if you teach, you know, the six letters S-I-T-P-I-N, there are over 40 CVC words and that are composed of those. Now, when you teach morphology, it doesn't have that same ability to transfer. If you teach a morpheme, that's a morpheme that you've taught, right? So if I teach you cycle, you're not going to know what bio means, right? It's, it's very specific to what is taught. Now, there are some things that will transfer, but it doesn't have that same transference outside of the scope of that particular base element. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I heard uh, Dr. Bowers say recently that he thought there was less value in teaching the prefixes and the suffixes and more value in teaching the root words because that's a way that's going to expand vocabulary. Yeah. Um, but I, I tend to actually disagree. I think it makes more sense to teach the suffixes and the prefix more because that's going to have more carryover. You teach students ing, ed, s, um, and the meanings behind that. That's something that they're going to be able to apply to hundreds of words immediately. Um, and obviously that's going to be limited in its scope, but it's just a well, and even ION. Yeah, yeah. So ION is the suffix, but the spelling pattern is SION and TION, right? For the shun or jun. And that's incredibly useful because if they're trying to sound it out it's going to be more difficult for them, especially if they don't realize that the I changes the sound of the T or the S, right? T, I, A, N isn't shun or jun, right? Uh, so teaching that as a, uh, now there, there are lots of debates. And yeah, you, pick the you pick the most controversial one, Dr. Yeah, Dr. this is the most controversial one. So ION is a base element. And 
But when you teach it with as T-I-O-N or S-I-O-N, then it is referred to as spelling pattern. Um, and uh, don't get into battles over Twitter or on Twitter over this. Just recognize uh, the difference between the base element and the spelling pattern in your instruction. And realistically, in my opinion, and I'm sure I'm going to get backlash for saying this, I don't see the problem in the beginning stages it's just saying, yeah, T-I-O-N or S-I-O-N uh, because then they see it as that entire element that they're going to see commonly in words. But that's just me. Yeah. I'm going to give you some life advice. Never get in a battle on Twitter over anything. I got on my phone about 200 notifications in the last 24 hours over the definition of the word balanced literacy. I never wanted to read 200 notifications about that. Uh, just a random thought here. Don't get into Twitter wars, people. They're the worst. Um, one thing I want to talk about is sort of this idea of should we teach systematic instruction for morphology or unsystematic? Um, and um, I might get myself into trouble saying this, but I think a certain people propose that we teach uh, unsystematically morphology because... Uh, it's so complex and because teachers aren't necessarily going to have the knowledge to teach it in a systematic way because we don't necessarily have a scope and sequence. I'm going to hypothesize here. I don't have evidence, people. I'm going to hypothesize that it makes more sense to teach it systematically and that we need to develop a systematic approach for doing that. And the reason I say that is because when we look at basically every other form of literacy instruction, the research tends to favor a systematic approach over an unsystematic. Um, and I don't know why morphology would be unique other than it would be trickier to make a systematic approach. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Dr. Carfor? I think there's definitely the need for a systematic approach for teaching, uh, you know, at least 25 of them. And then if we have it broken down for subjects, because there are ones that are specifically of interest for individuals going further on in mathematics, or the different sciences that are specific to that area. Now, does someone that's not focusing on a, on a science and mathematics path need to know them? No, there are other ones that they can work on. Yeah, yeah, I would I would say a larger scope, but I mean, we're we're really just discussing the our opinions, thoughts, and feelings on this at this point, right? Well, and the thing is, I, I, I just pulled 25 out of the air. I think there's 200 of the most common morphemes and ideally all of those would be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so why don't we talk about how we, we think this should be instructed personally. When I look at this research, I, I think morphology is mainly the second side of the, the coin for, for decoding it's the extension of decoding. Um, and then I think the, the true values for spelling instruction. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I upset some people when I say this, but I think we should still teach the 44 um, GPCs first. Um, and then I think as soon as students have mastered those, they should start um, being taught some morphology. Um, and I think it probably makes the most sense to have morphology in the, the primary grades, like one, two, three, um, with maybe limited in kindergarten, pre-K, that's my, my opinion. I think there is, there's definitely research showing value to teaching in pre-K and K. I just don't see a way to do that systematically that makes sense personally. Um, 
And then I would think as students leave grade three, we should slowly teach less morphology over time. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts? I think suffixes such as S E D I N G are definitely important to teach early on. And I wouldn't think that all of those 44 GPCs that you were talking about are essential to learn before. I think it's more important for students to learn how to spell cats and understand the plural than it is for them to have mastered, you know, the QU grapheme for qua, mm -hmm. right? Or some of the, the more complex uh, vowel grapheme learning correspondences um, because I see it coming up very quickly and very frequently in reading right in those beginning decodable books you're going to see plurals yeah. um and I, I think it's important to recognize it and highlight it you don't necessarily have to teach all of the spelling rules that go along with it like adding es versus s but understanding that s means plural and sometimes it's a s and sometimes it's a z at the end of the word and more often at the end of the word it makes the z sound than the s sound I think that gives them a lot of good information that they can use early. <laughs> Ironically enough, I was talking about this with my five-year-old yesterday when we were, when we were reading a book and I, she is advanced. I, I'll, I'll give you that. She's not your typical five-year-old beginning reader, but conceptually she can understand it. And it helped her with her decoding because then she started to flex the sound at the end of the word is it or is it zzz? Mm -hmm. um so that's my two cents but i'm not saying that we need to teach the complex morphemes or the the more uh, yeah. advanced morphemes but those you know plural ed ing are definitely ones they need to learn fairly early on yeah i i get what you're saying although i i kind of see it as really only being the three yeah because uh, it's the ing, it's the ed, and it's the the s that makes sense. Yeah, I, I I can't think of any others that I would say need to be taught right away. No, no, and, but that's that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. If we include those, and I see morphology instruction as a natural extension of phonics. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's taking that phonics instruction to the next level, and we need to have that fluid movement between it and also include that etymology and understanding where words come from and how that dictates spelling. Right. Um, I mean, I don't expect teachers to be masters of etymology. It's another field looking at the origin of the word and where it comes from, but that's where we see some of the tricky spelling patterns. Right. And when we're teaching the graphene course, phoneme correspondence of the pH representing the f sound, I think it's extremely valuable to talk about how it has that Greek origin. And I, I know I've brought this up in other episodes that we've done before, but then when we say, well, look, and look at these, um, these morphemes like photo or um, physics, like look at these words. And, you know, if we look at the morphemes, we see this in them too. So that's, yeah, I, I actually, um, I struggle with the etymology part. Mm. Um, uh, just cause I, I can see how that could be like a potential like sinkhole of time, Definitely. Definitely. uh, because, you know, I like the idea of teaching the meaning behind, um, 
you know, graphing, phoning, correspondences or morphemes, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But um, when we have to start looking up like, well, what is the history of this word? I feel like that is a huge rabbit hole. And I'm not saying we should never do that. And I, I don't think there's no value. I think there is value in the sense that if there's an interesting tidbit about it, information about it, it can help students remember. And I think, I think in a way, like morphology is almost like a memory trick for spelling. Like I always uh, struggled with the word perseverance. Mm-hmm. And then one day I noticed the word severance mm-hmm. was inside perseverance. So now whenever I have to spell the word perseverance, I, I, say, I say to myself, perseverance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and that's, that's exactly what we want to be doing to helping help our students with their spelling. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I think it's like, it's, it's, if we can have like a compelling story behind a, a spelling mm-hmm. or um, a syllable, I think that's great. But I also, I hate the idea of thinking that there's going to be like a 20 minute deep dive into part no. of the word. And if I was, I'm not saying you're advocating for this, but I feel like somewhere there's some teacher who's doing that because um, they want to be uh, teaching morphology. Um, and I, I, that's just my potential worry of like the extreme end of it. Um, and I, I think there's, there's an extreme end of, of phonics instruction too. I think you can go too far with phonics. I think, for example, if you're teaching a phonics on like a systematic explicit basis in grade five to your whole class, I think you went too far with it. Um, and I think if you're doing like 20 minute long discussions on the history of words with morphology, I think you went too far with it. But that's like my two cents. I don't have scientific evidence for that. That's just my anecdote and observation. Yeah. Uh, and really, I, I think the first step that educators need to take is not doing that deep dive into morphology, but just understanding the basics and how they can include it in their instruction as a way to support decoding or reading, encoding, which is spelling, and vocabulary development. I mean, there's something called a matrix, a word matrices. And are you pulling one out? Is that what you, oh, that's. No, uh, I actually, I was pulling out a book that I think is a great resource for this. Oh, okay. No, but you can keep talking. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, word matrices are, are ones that you can use in those uh, upper elementary and high school grades that look at how you can add different roots together to form words. And I, I think those can be fun activities. Um, but again, it, it's taking them and understanding how they're best fit in your classroom. And you're going to have the word nerds in your class that do that love it and thrive on it and think it's the best thing and build their vocabulary in amazing ways that way, but it's not going to work for your whole class. And that's where we need to look at things. Well, and I, I just going to share this book. I never share books. I, um, I mostly because I don't use read books. Normally I just read st- scientific studies. Um, I don't read fiction either. Like I know, like some people, like they go home, like they read books for pleasure. Like when I'm, I have a minute to read, I'm like, all right, let's go to my uh, academic scholar database. Um, Cause that's just how much nerd I am. But um, this book here, I think you're familiar with it, actually. It's Secret Code by Nancy Young. I, I thought this was a phenomenal resource. Um, and I, I've, I've no affiliation with her. I've never met her, although you know her. Um, yeah. uh, because it not only does it go over um, phonics rules, but it also goes over um, orthography and more morphology behind um, a lot of common um, sounds and words. 
Um, so I, I just loved it because it's it's an easy systematic approach to, to implementing morphology in a classroom. Although it's not actually a lesson plan. She makes that quite clear, but she states it over and over again. This is not a lesson plan. Don't use this as a lesson plan. But uh, you know, it's there's like 250 pages of um, morphemes that you can go through with your class. And that is the teacher version, not the parent version, correct? That yes, you... that's correct. It is the, the teacher version. It's an excellent resource. So. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I sold somebody else's book. There's definitely going to be someone who sees this and be like, oh, that's a great book. I should buy it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I don't have any more thoughts on the, the topic of morphology. Do you? Uh, just it's something that we need to start including in our resources for teachers and understanding that there are different ways to approach it, but it's definitely something that we're going to start seeing more of in our curriculums. And, uh, it, it's something that takes a while to develop. So th the sooner that you start, I think the better that it'll be. I agree. I I had not heard this word, uh, I think, prior to about 18 months ago, um, and it was a rude awakening. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, uh, Nate. It's been a pleasure speaking to you again. Well, thank you very much for having me on your podcast, Catherine.